This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. Okay, so I want to start with um, a personal testimony. So kind of very precise, very focused. And then I'm going to move out from that personal testimony to the testimony of the Scriptures, of course, primarily, and also the testimony of the church as we look at this Bible lesson that's given to us by the church, that's given to us in the cycle of Epiphany, where we see a man healed with an unclean spirit. So let me start with my testimony, which actually, it happened right over there, uh, not in the choir stall, but through that wall is a small chapel, All Saints Chapel, one of my favorite places in the entire world is that little chapel right there. And I was there three or four years ago on my birthday. And I was praying and reading my Bible and taking some extra time on my birthday to reflect on the year. And as I was reflecting and doing some examination and kind of what was going on, I realized, ah, much to my shame, I often don't do very well on my birthday emotionally. I was like, man, that's horrible because Catherine has built a family culture of celebrating us on our birthdays, including me. And I was like, but I always just feel a little off. And I was praying that through and journaling about it. And the Lord just brought to mind something that I had been aware of before, but it brought to mind in a vividness that when I was 12 or 13, an event occurred in my life on my birthday that was really painful. And it was a personal experience of, of actually being rejected and feeling rejected. And I realized, oh man, um, well, this is embarrassing, but I always feel rejected on my birthday, which is really rough on Catherine, who's doing everything to celebrate. And there I am, <laughs> you know, this is great. <laughs> Thanks for the birthday, you know. I said, Lord, what, what is this? And I, I actually had been to therapy about it. I had really good counseling, and I'd gotten underneath some of what had happened, and I felt like I had some more clarity. I didn't need clarity, but I needed freedom. So I've been doing more study about demonic powers, and I've been reading the Bible on that and listening to teachers on that, and I thought, what if this is kind of a demonic affliction? What if this sense of rejection is coming from something outside of me that's seeking to afflict and, and damage my birthday and get a two-for-one and also make Catherine nuts? Um, so what if that's the case, and what if I just do what I've been taught and what the Bible says, okay, Lord, and I just, like I often guide you guys, just put my hands on my lap, and I just said, Lord, I don't know what this is, but if there's any unclean spirit connected to this feeling of rejection that just keeps tormenting me with it on my birthday, I ask you by your authority to please release me from this. And I've been taught that you do a physical action sometimes just to kind of help in your body to make it more manifest. So I just blew out really hard, like that. You don't necessarily have to do that. I just, that's what I did. And I could feel physically something lift off of me, like I've been doing seven hours with a 50-pound pack. You know, your back's all sweaty, and you, you know, my, my, my back wasn't actually sweaty in there, but you, it's a metaphor, right? And I'd taken it off, and it was just like, ah, oh, I feel so different. And I have felt different since then. And I'm a very happy chap on my birthday now. And I can receive the celebration and the love that family and friends give to me. 
Nothing dramatic in that case. Sometimes it can be, like we'll read about in the Bible this morning. But very profound for my life with Jesus. All right, so let's go to our Bibles now. Open up to page 836 in your pew Bible. If you brought your Bible with you, open up to Mark chapter 1. And if you're newer to Res, uh, you want to just get in the habit of bringing your Bible with you um, because we're going to teach you from the Bible every week and you can make notes, find a, make notes in the Bible, uh, read Mark, learn, and really digest. So page 836 or Mark 1. And here we see it's given in the English Standard, Standard Version a really wonderful sort of summary. Jesus heals a man with an unclean spirit. That's a beautiful way to put this. It's a great verb. He heals a man with an unclean spirit. Here's, here's what we're going to work on. It's very important that we understand unclean spirits. So to be literate Christians, followers of the Scriptures, it's important that we understand and have a, 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 um, a capacity to know what is an unclean spirit. How do they operate? How do they affect me as a follower of Jesus? So I'm going to understand together unclean spirits. That's verses 23 to 26 if you're building out an outline, okay? But much more importantly... Well, we understand unclean spirits, we need to believe in the authority of Jesus. And I'm using a verb, believe, which is different than a verb, understand. I want you to have capacity to take in what the Bible has taught about unclean spirits. I want you to understand them. But far more than that, I want to use a more intense Bible word, which is believe, which means to abandon yourself to, to fully give yourself without reservation over to the authority of Jesus. The authority of Jesus, he is one who gave a teaching with a new authority, and those that were in that synagogue in Capernaum on that day were utterly knocked over. That's actually how the Greek phrases it out. They were blown away in our vernacular. The authority of Jesus we see in operation verses 21 to 22 and verses 27 to 28. Okay, textual background. We're working in Mark. We've been, Mark is our gospel for the year. Praise the Lord. I love this gospel. When I've been traveling around teaching in our other diocesan churches, I've been teaching out of Mark for the last few weeks. I'm in the Mark zone. To be in the Mark zone is to be in the Peter zone. Nearly all scholars agree that this gospel is according to Mark, who traveled with Paul. He traveled with Silas. He was a follower of Jesus as he learned the gospel. But very likely, Peter influenced Mark. So you get Peter's energy in this gospel. You get Peter's witness. Indeed, the passage right before this is where Jesus calls Peter and Andrew. Also, what's important is we're in Capernaum. That's Peter's hometown. If you've had a chance to travel to the land and to be in the Holy Land, you probably went to Capernaum, which is right off of the Sea of Galilee. It's a small village, and you can see Peter's house. The excavation is solid that archaeologically that's Peter's house where his mother-in-law was healed. We'll see that just after this passage here. To walk to the synagogue is literally a one-minute walk. So I'm going to give you a sense of the proximity and of the scale here. This is important because what's happening is Jesus is visiting the neighborhood synagogue. Synagogues emerged when Jews couldn't get to the temple when they were in exile, so they built out synagogues so they could have a place to study God's law, God's word, and gather together and have the liturgy. They had a liturgy. But this is the neighborhood synagogue. This is home church. This is home neighborhood in a very small village. It all feels very familiar, and then, boom, supernatural work of Jesus Christ happening right here in the neighborhood. Not unlike me in my neighborhood chapel, meeting the Lord in such incredible power. Okay, that's backed up on this. Now, another thing, this is important for us, and uh, particularly for us as Americans. We have a pretty significant blind spot when we try to approach this text would be my 
premise to you. So in America, and it's continuing, which is incredible, even through things like the Chosen and others, generally Americans have some familiarity with Jesus. They probably have some picture of Jesus. They may not know much about Jesus, but you say the name Jesus, which we assume is, oh, sure, everyone, but of course that's not the case in the majority world. But familiarity with Jesus, a lot of unfamiliarity with unclean spirits. Actually, a pretty cavalier attitude toward unclean spirits, if there's any attitude at all. One very clear manifestation is that as Americans spend $12 billion, I didn't stutter, you heard that, on Halloween. Which is a manifest example of taking something actually very serious, demonic realities, witches, ghosts, poltergeists, vampires, with a great likeness. The flip is true in the majority world, in the global world. Less familiarity with Jesus, that is changing over the last 50 to 70 years of activity, but less familiarity with Jesus, high familiarity with unclean spirits, high familiar with the reality of the demonic, to the point that we're in the country where my wife grew up in Brazil, you could go to an MD doctor or you could go to a spiritist and they both can do a work on you. She's been asked before a dental operation, a dental procedure, do you want me just to do a work on you or do you want Novocaine? So we got a kind of blind spot. So how do we handle blind spots? Well, the Bible helps us handle blind spots, but you know, even with the Bible, sometimes you can read it like this, right? So how do you go from here to here? Well, as Anglicans, we do two things. We go global, what's happening in the rest of the world and how are they reading their Bible, and what's happened historically, all right? So we go to our global brothers and sisters, and we go to our brothers and sisters that have gone ahead of, ahead of us and ask how have they determined these things. And we'll get to that historical piece in a moment. Quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones, Dr. Lloyd-Jones, preacher and teacher in London, mid-20th century. He gives this quote about Britain, but it's just as applicable today, North America, 2024. Dr. Lloyd-Jones writes this, quote, I am certain that one of the main causes of the ill state of the church today is the fact that the devil, and I would add, and his demons, is being forgotten. All is attributed to us. We have become so psychological in our attitude and our thinking. By the way, I, I'm not going to eschew psychology. We need partnership with that. I'll get to that. He, clo he closes the quote, we are ignorant of this great objective fact, the being, the existence of the devil and demons. I don't want you to obsess about the demonic. I don't want you to traffic in the reality of the demonic. I'm not even asking you to study necessarily the demonic, but I do want you to understand the demonic and unclean spirits so that you'll be provoked to run even more quickly and in an abandoned way to the arms of Jesus who has the ultimate authority. That's where we're going. You don't dare teach on the demonic as a Christian teacher unless you are very clear about the ultimate authority of Jesus. We're going to do both this morning. Let's understand unclean spirits first. Okay, open up your Bibles there, Mark 1. Okay, so they went into Capernaum, Peter's hometown, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and Jesus was teaching. Now, this had to be amazing for Peter and Andrew, for example, because they just, they just said to Jesus, I will follow you. So this is kind of like our first gig with Jesus in the synagogue. What is he going to teach on? And we don't know what he taught on. Sometimes Luke 4, we learn what he taught on. Here we don't know. It's something, of course, from the Hebrew Scriptures. He's teaching on it, but what, what Peter wants us to know is that he taught 
as one who had authority, verse 22, and not as the scribes. Those would be other um, Jewish teachers of the law. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. All right. What's an unclean spirit, biblically? We know that angels created by God, they're not uncreated beings, they're created beings, have a will. And they were given a will to follow God and worship God or to rebel against God. And we read in Revelation 12 of a war in heaven that occurs where we're told that, that the Satan and his angels, that we have Satan as a key figure known as Lucifer, who falls, rebels against God, and many angelic beings follow him and they're referred to as his angels. So we have demonic realities, unclean. Unclean is, is to do with that which is unholy realities. John Stott, Anglican pastor and theologian, describes them as personal supernatural agencies. I think that's a really helpful definition. It's a little complex, but it's good. Personal supernatural agencies. They have agency. What does that mean? They have capacity to act. They have wills. They're personal. They're beings. They're rebellious beings. We see in this passage that they're powerful beings. When they come out, they convulse the man. They have the power to speak. They have the power to, 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 to speak to Jesus. Often demons will speak lies. In this case, they're actually speaking something of the truth. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Let's just be clear right now. We're going to get here. <laughs> they don't know who he is. And there's a joy in that, okay? So there, there's kind of an ancient Near Eastern thought. If a demon can tell you who you are, he gets power over you. So in this case, the demon's right. He is the Holy One of God, but they have no idea what's awaiting them in a matter of about, oh, probably one and a half minutes. Okay, in your Bibles, page 979, you guys, or go over to Ephesians chapter 6. Okay, we understand the Bible by the Bible, right? So when we're trying to understand a passage, like, what's an unclean spirit? The way we work that out is we go, okay, where else has there been teaching in the Bible about unclean spirits? There's several passages. I'm going to take you to one this morning. This is Ephesians chapter 6. Okay, so Ephesians chapter 6, look at, look at verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And then Paul, Paul wrote this. He's going to get into different elements of armor later. We're not going to focus on that this morning. But what I want you to see is schemes. Okay, so we already learned something else about de demons. All right, so we know that they're powerful. We know they have agency. They scheme. That's not a throwaway word. In other words, they're capable of planning. We'll get into their limitations. They have a lot of limitations, but they can plan. They scheme. And we want to be really clear about their schemes. For we do not wrestle, verse 12, against flesh and blood. This is so important for followers of Jesus. And we have those who have possibly profoundly hurt us in this life who are people. And it's not saying that that profound hurt is to be delegitimized or doesn't matter. But it is to say that the work of the follower of Jesus is always to understand that ultimately what I'm up against as I'm working through this grievance, as I'm working through this pain, as I'm working through whatever it might be, is that ultimately this is not a flesh and blood issue, which is how we learn to love our enemies. 
Because ultimately there is an enemy, the enemy and his demons. Well, let's see. But against the rulers. This would not be um, state rulers, a la Romans chapter 13. This is likely demonic rulers. So it's probably some kind of a hierarchy. We don't need to geek out on all the hierarchy and ranks. That's, that gets weird, frankly. And it goes beyond the Bible. Don't go beyond the Bible on this stuff. But they're rulers. They, they have command of some kind. Against the authorities, same idea, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. What do you, what, what's going on there? We're in a present darkness. It will not last forever. God has allowed the enemy to have a level of authority for a time. He has conquered him on the cross, and that will be fully, fully exercised and exorcised. His power will be completely put out in the new heavens and the new earth. But we are waiting for that time. And in that time, we are in a battle. And the enemy will constantly work, particularly in North America, to convince you that there is no battle. And that those who think there's a battle, they're fanatics. That's part of the scheme of the devil. Which is why Paul teaches it so explicitly. You're in a battle. You're in an internal battle against your sin nature. You're in an external battle against the reality of the enemy and the devil coming against you. This is what we're learning about them. There are spiritual forces in the heavenly places. Don't think heaven blue sky. Think heaven invisible. Think unseen. They work in unseen ways. They can be seen. They can't. I mean, believers have seen demons, but primarily they're unseen. They're working to work in people like this man in the synagogue. Okay, so they're, they're rebellious, they're powerful, they're cruel. Unclean spirits, demonic powers, you can go back to chapter 1 now, Mark, are cruel. There's another place in the Bible where there are children who will be afflicted by unclean spirits that Jesus frees. Can you imagine? So do you understand that demons don't go, oh, it's a child, or it's a child that has other challenges as well, or it's a child who's been abandoned by mother or father. This is a child who suffered greatly. Hey, leave that child alone. Do you understand that the cruelty of unclean spirits is the very opposite of that? They will seek to leverage vulnerability and exposure more than ever. That's what they're like. That's how they're cruel. You know that's why in our liturgy, before we baptize an infant, we pray for that infant to be freed from any afflicting spirits that's coming against that child. Do you understand we do that because we understand from the Bible what unclean spirits are like? That's why it's sewn into our very baptismal service for infants. I remember talking to a high schooler. He said, Stuart, it's so weird. Sometimes at night, I literally see this, like, ghoulish face on my wall. This kid's parents were divorcing. He was kind of expected to be the man of the family. He's 14 years old. And now the devil's tormenting him with terrifying images on his wall? Yes. Do you understand that the plan of the Father is exactly in contradistinction to the plan of the enemy? The plan of the enemy in John chapter 10 is taught to us, is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Let me tell you, the Father's plan is the exact reverse of that. Where the enemy steals, he gives. Where the enemy kills, he resurrects. 
Where the enemy destroys, he rebuilds, he renews, he reforms. That's what our Father in Heaven is like. See, I can't even talk about the cruelty of the enemy unless I t- remind you again, because it's, it's getting freaky, isn't it? Just how good the Father is. And just how good Jesus is, whom he sent. They are organized. Again, they have schemes, they're organized. We don't want to be ignorant of Satan's designs. Okay, now we're going to work on a question. So how can demons influence followers of Jesus? Because if I were you and I was hearing this teaching, that would be my question. And so I've worked on that question. And I'm, I'm still working on it. It's a really hard question, actually. We don't have an explicit, like, Pauline or Peter teaching on this, but I think we have a lot in the Scriptures to get clear on this. So let me work on this. Okay, first of all, let's start with our Mark 1 text. Okay, what's happening there? Okay, who's... Who's convulsing this unclean spirit from their body? It's a man in the synagogue. Okay, now, this was a very small town. It's very likely this man was known. You knew everybody, and you were probably related to most cousins, aunties, uncles, small town. He's gone to synagogue on Shabbat. He's an observant Jew. He wants to be under the teaching of the Scriptures. Maybe he's even heard that a new rabbi's come, and he wants to be there. So there, we can assume 90% assumption This person's probably a faithful, under the covenant, living by the covenant, circumcised Jew, wanting to be faithful. That doesn't mean that they have the fullness of the Holy Spirit that's given to all of us as Jesus resurrects. He breathes on the apostles, the fullness of the Spirit. He ministers the fullness of the Spirit in Pentecost. So it gets us there part way. But at least it's to say this is an observant Jew, very likely, under the covenant. Okay, how about influence on Christians? Let's keep going. Well, we know that when we sin, and this is in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27. We won't go there right now, but you can make a note of that if you want. Ephesians 4, verse 27, that we're told that do not sin and thereby give an opportunity to Satan. So one way that we give opportunity to demons, one of the key ways is in our sin, we open up an entryway. So this isn't just engaging in the occult. It certainly is that. It's all kinds of sins. That when we sin and repeatedly sin, and we'll talk about confession in its place, we open up to the, to, to the enemy. But we also find that the enemy can afflict those who haven't necessarily sinned just because he chooses to, just because they're faithful. Few would be found more faithful than the Apostle Paul. Now, Paul would have told you, I'm the chief of all sinners. He knew he was in a battle with his sin nature. He talks about that battle. He understood the battle. But he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, that a messenger of Satan, messenger, message, that's the word angel, angelos. So angels are messengers, but this is not a good messenger. A messenger of Satan had been sent to afflict him. And he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, oh, that I might be delivered from this. To me, that's the strongest biblical understanding of someone full of the Holy Spirit, walking with the Lord, who has been afflicted profoundly by the enemy. It wants to be delivered, wants to be freed. Of course, in the book of Job, we also see a man who's righteous, who the enemy completely attacks. So what does this, what does this mean? Okay, well, let's be really clear. Often the question is, can Christians be possessed? And I'm not trying to be tricky. The trick with answering that question is possession is not a Bible word. It's a, it's a vernacular word that we use. So I have to say, first of all, the Bible doesn't operate in the idea of possession. But let's say that possession is still an important word, which it is. To be possessed is to be owned. You cannot be owned by a demon. 
when you have the Holy Spirit in you. You cannot be owned. And so I really want you to hear that, Christians, and I want you to go, oh, praise the Lord. That's one of the benefits and fruits of your salvation. Okay, take that, full stop, but it's really important that you hear me. You have to be sober because you can be afflicted. I'm not playing with words here. You cannot be possessed, but you can be afflicted. You can be tormented, as the Apostle Paul was, as this man, likely faithful Jew in the synagogue, was. And we need to understand that reality. What does that look like? Does it always look like a demon coming out like it did in this case? Sometimes, but not always. One of the key ways in which we're afflicted is through false teaching. Demons work to draw people into false teaching. Demons work to draw people into a trap of repeated sin. That's your sin nature collaborating in a really nasty cooperation with demonic powers to keep you trapped in repeated sin. Intrusive thoughts are a classic demonic mechanism. Athanasius speaks about this. Augustus speaks about this. And let's get an Anglican in there. Bede speaks about this. That literally, one of the ways that the demons attack are intrusive thoughts. But there could be other reasons for that as well. External pressure, an external affliction, where you just feel like, I can't do it. I, this is just too much. I've been doing this a long time. I've been walking with the Lord a long time. The last 48 hours getting me to teach this lesson were miserable. The external pressure, and I knew what it was. I'm getting ready to teach on this. But the external pressure was unbelievable. All day long, I just felt utterly exhausted yesterday. External pressure. And then it could be in an internal affliction as well. He's like, I need to be released from this. I need something to just, I need to come out. Spirit of rejection that I had. Other kinds of affliction. Fear. It can play out in different ways. That's why those who minister to people in this sometimes were called exorcists. And exorcism, weird word. I guess there's a weird movie. I don't watch those movies because I believe in all this stuff. I don't need to watch a movie. I read the Bible. That's all I need. But don't let that word be weird. The word means to expel, to exorcise is to expel, to get somebody free. There's a reason why the church has had exorcists for centuries upon centuries. Okay, so we go to the history of the church. If we have a blind spot, we're like, well, how have those who have gone before us, particularly in pre-modern cultures, understood this? Well, fourth century, when you're being trained as a deacon or a priest, two fourth century documents speak specifically to this, the canons of Apollotus and the Apostolic Constitution. This is 340, 350. Talks specifically about the need for freedom, for expelling of demonic powers for Christians. Indeed, still, Anglicans, Roman Catholics, Eastern Orthodox will have exorcists who have particular training and calling in this ministry. Many bishops were known as being exorcists in their own right. In the ancient church, Ambrose of Milan, Martin of Tours were known that they had this capacity to minister into this. But be clear, all the people of God have authority. All the people of God have the Holy Spirit to minister this reality. Quick, quick, quick note here. As we're understanding some of this, it is very important as we work on this, and we have the gift in the church of having Christian psychologists and Christian medical professionals. There's a way in which the partnership between psychologists and medical professionals is really important here. It's very important that psychologists understand unclean spirits if you're a Christian psychologist. And that medical professionals understand such as well. And that pastors understand the importance of the medical professionals and the psychologists. 
We had an amazing reach out from a psychologist, Christian psychologist, a few weeks ago to Catherine and me, and she said, I have a client. I think they are afflicted by demonic powers. I know you and Catherine have done ministry in this area. Would you be willing to help me? He wants help. And we said, of course. What a perfect partnership. Okay, let's get clear. Now, let's get to Jesus. So I told 8.30, it's, this is not going to be 28 minutes. And so, you know, just... All right, okay. <laughs> All right, so let's go into the contrast, okay? So, so we're, so we're going to move into Jesus and his authority. There's a really clear contrast. It needs to be delineated specifically. First of all, let's remember, demons are created. God has always been. Demons are limited by their time and location. The devil can't be everywhere one time. The devil can be one place. That's why he's got a whole bunch of demons doing his work. But they themselves are not omnipresent. God is omnipresent. They are limited by knowledge. You're the Holy One of God. I've got authority over you. Huh. You only know so much, unclean spirit. Wait till you see the cross. See, they don't understand the cross. They don't understand that the Holy One of Israel, the most powerful person to ever exist, would give up his life on the cross. They don't understand that. Do you understand that demons are limited in knowledge? You have knowledge. The far exceeds the demon's knowledge because you understand Jesus. You understand his death on the cross. You understand and believe that he rose from the dead. Don't underestimate their knowledge, but don't you dare overestimate their knowledge either. You know more. They're limited in power. They're limited what they can do in this world, and they will be ultimately limited because they will lose all their power when Jesus restores the heavens and the earth. So let's look at this teaching authority, Mark chapter 1. Verse 25, he rebukes him, be silent, and come out of him. Verse 27, and they were all amazed, so they questioned themselves, saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. Okay. Jesus is teaching authority. When I was in college, I had the absolute privilege of taking a class in Reformation history for one of the foremost scholars in the world on Reformation history. It was a riveting, unforgettable experience to learn from this professor. But how much better would that class have been if Martin Luther had taught it? I mean, that would have been amazing, right? I mean, I took it to Wheaton, and Martin Luther swore a lot, and back then, at least, you couldn't swear at Wheaton, so I don't know how that would have worked, but, I mean, imagine, like, Reformation history from the guy that taught justification by faith. That would have been even more amazing, but imagine this. What if just Martin Luther actually enacted justification by faith, which he didn't? He just taught it. What if he actually gave the gift of justification by faith, which he didn't? He just taught it. But what if the one who actually re did the reality who's teaching on power over the enemy, actually is the one that has the power over the enemy. What if it's all constellated in one person? The teaching, the practice, the reality, it's all there in Jesus. And that's why, in the literal language, they were knocked out by astonishment. And that's the one who wants to free you. from your afflictions and free many from their afflictions. That's why Peter said, put that first mark. John did um, wedding of Cana Galilee, beautiful first miracle in John. I'm sure Peter's like, that's so John. I mean, John probably wrote it after Peter, but just go with me. That's so John. He loves weddings. He loves marriages. I, I want the first miracle. 
to be that you free people from unclean spirits. That's what I want. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I was there when he fell. I will be there when he's ultimately vanquished. And I will stare him face to face at the cross. And I will bring deliverance to all. That's his authority. That's what you have. I, I really hope that this hasn't created fear in you. It's really important to me. I, I wanted to create understanding. I, I want you to be versed and literate in the realities of demonic and unseen powers. But it's also extremely important that you understand the authority of Jesus personally. Let's conclude with that. So what does that mean? What do you do now? The most important thing you can do, and if you are afflicted, it might be hard to do this, but the most important thing you can do is get under the teaching authority of Jesus, which is to say your Bible is so critical in the life of expelling unclean realities and afflictions. So memorizing this and studying this and reading this, and you may have resistance to doing so by the enemy. I, I understand. You may need prayer just to be able to read it. But the most important thing I can point you to is the study of the Scriptures and being under the teaching of the Scriptures. Podcasts, fine. Live preaching all day long. Second, you learn to pray. You learn to fast. You learn to confess your sins. That is one of the most powerful ways to expel the enemy. Yes, you're overcoming your sin nature, but you're also overcoming the schemes of the devil by confession of sin. The Eucharist is one of the great ways to contend against the devil. And then there's prayer for you. Sometimes that happens dramatically. Every once in a resurrection, there may be a dramatic release of somebody and it may get loud. It's, it doesn't happen often, but we try to get folks to a private place when that needs to happen. But often it's like me in that chapel. Just heard a testimony. Somebody got prayer after the 830 service and felt something lift from them that they were so glad to be freed from as a prayer minister minister Jesus' authority. There's going to be a prayer and healing service on Thursday night. And if this is stirring something, you were like, I just don't know. I'm not sure what to do with all this, but I want to get prayer. Just come and get prayer. Make an appointment with the pastoral staff for prayer. I want you to understand, but even more so, I want you to believe in Jesus, his authority, his power. He came to free us from demonic powers. Hallelujah. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.